Acts chapter 11. We're going to read three verses of scripture. Beginning at verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus, Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? We come before you right now thanking you for your word. Your word have we hid in our heart that we might not sin against you. And Lord, right now I pray that you would take your word and impart it into the hearts of your people. That we would hear what it is that the Spirit wants to say to the church. May we be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Speak through your servant. There's a lot of detractors right now, but our faith is in God to help us, to touch us, to keep our eyes fully upon the Lord, to be about the Father's business. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. What is a great church? Do you really, really feel like you're part of a great church? I feel as if I am part of a great church. But I am a man. And I wonder if God assesses us as a great church. The characteristics of the Antioch church, where, by the way, they were first called Christians, gives us a pattern to imitate at the Pulaski Church of God. We've been using the word great as an acrostic to describe the personality and the character of this thriving New Testament church in the book of Acts. To review, first off, we determined that the Antioch church was a grace church. Acts chapter 11, verse 23, when Barnabas came to Antioch and saw the grace of God, he was glad. First time there. And that's the first thing that grabbed him. First time attender. And that's the first thing that got a hold of him was that he saw that the Antioch church was filled with grace truth is a church can have grace in its title and on its sign and over top of its letterhead but it doesn't make it a true church of grace unless it practices grace 
realizing that we all were lost and miserable and we found peace and then proving with our words and our deeds that anyone and everyone deserved that same kind of unmerited favor that was bestowed upon us. Additionally, preaching a true grace that opens a door of salvation in front of us while at the same time closing the door behind us on a life of sin. That's true and genuine grace. That's the kind of grace that transforms. That's why the Apostle Paul would write, I am, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. Praise the Lord. Second, we determine that a great church in the New Testament pattern of Antioch is a relational church. Christianity has never been about religion, but it's always about relationship. Relationship to Jesus Christ, the, the Son of the living God, and relationship to each other. Both a, a vertical relationship to God and a horizontal relationship to each other. We even look at Acts chapter 13 and verse 1 and we saw the makeup of the leadership in Antioch. And it led us to believe that there was a melting pot of people from different cultures and ethnicities and backgrounds. And yet the unity of Christ was manifested and because of that they shone as a bright light in their community. The bottom line is a, a great church is a relational church. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. And so we, we dealt with the first two weeks with, with Grace Church and being a relational church. And today we want to continue in this series. And today I want to tell you boldly that a great church is an evangelistic church. A great church is an evangelistic church. It can be a grace church. It can be a relational church. But it has to be an evangelistic church. We look in verse 20 of what we read this morning. And we saw that when they were come to Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians. They spoke unto the Greek folks, if you will, preaching the Lord Jesus. And verse 21 says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. There was evangelism at Antioch. When I looked at that word preached, I discovered in the Greek... The word preached is the word evangelizo, which means to proclaim the good news. As I thought this week and the Lord was dealing with my heart, I know there are all kinds of different churches and, and personalities. And I know that there are certain things that can make us successful in the eyes of man and in the eyes of community. We certainly need to be a church of benevolence. And I thank God that this church has a benevolent heart. And we need to be a church of, of deep preaching and we need to be a church of community involvement and we need to address moral platforms and we need to uh, stand up on social issues. All of these are extremely important but I want to say boldly today that we cannot and will not be a great church in the eyes of the Heavenly Father if we are not committed to 
building the population of heaven. Can someone say amen? We are here. We exist to win the lost. We exist to throw a lifeline to the drowning. We are here to snatch the soul from the flames of eternity. Dr. Culpepper wrote in his book, uh, stated in his book, No Church Left Behind, and I quote, he said, a church can die and God will let it die if it forgets the value of a soul. It is still all about the soul. There was a young pastor that was in his 20s and, and he was very impressed with a pastor that was in his 70s. He had taken the church and, and had led the church in growing from 100 people to over 5,000 people. And so the young pastor went to the older pastor some 50 years his senior and he said what is your advice on building the church this young pastor full of zeal and enthusiasm he asked this question with all sincerity and expecting some kind of a grand answer when a church grows like that you expect some kind of a there's some kind of secret here but the old older gentleman was quiet for a few moments and then he and then it goes that with tears in his eyes he looked at the young pastor and he said I'll tell you how you grow a, a church as we have. When the poorest little girl who rides to church on a bus, whose mother is a junkie and whose father has abandoned her, that little girl is worth more to Jesus than all the buildings and the monies that this church can own. Now that is sound advice. Oh God, let us never forget the value of a soul. Can I tell you, we've got too many preparing for COVID and too few preparing for eternity. I'm going to say that again. We got too many preparing for COVID and we got too few preparing for eternity. I'm afraid we've all been detracted by social injustice and, and, and politics and, and coin shortages. But I'm telling you, God, take us back to the basics and help us to understand that the church is for those who haven't come yet and there is a lost and dying harvest out there that needs to be reaped and every single one of us are responsible to win souls to Jesus for the glory of Almighty God. I wish somebody would give the Lord praise. You agree with the Word of God? The Word of God is truth. There is no lie. God has called every one of us to reach someone for Christ. In the Gospels, the rich man he may have neglected that poor, pitiful, and in his mind, pathetic beggar that laid at his gate daily begging for something while the dogs licked his sores on his body. But God never forgot. And when that poor yet godly beggar died. Angels showed up to escort the beggar into paradise and into Abraham's bosom. Why? Because it is all about the soul. Psalms 19 and 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Psalms 66 and 16. Come and hear all you that fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. 
soul. Hallelujah. If all is taken, let me tell you what he's done for my soul. If my health deteriorates, let me tell you what he's done for my soul. If my family forsakes me, let me tell you what he's done for my soul. Oh, COVID may take my body, but bless God, COVID can't touch my soul. My soul has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ when it's all said and done. The greatest miracle in my past and in my future is the day I knelt out on an altar of prayer and the rich red blood of Jesus washed my blackened heart and made me white as snow. Thank God for the soul that has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Well, praise the Lord. It's all about the soul. In Psalms 142 and 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, and no man cared for my soul. Ezekiel 18, the soul that sins, it shall die. That's verse 4. And again in verse 20, the soul that sins, it shall die. God is saying to you that are listening, that are running from him, you may be watching live stream, you may be sitting in this sanctuary. God is saying to you in Isaiah 55 and 3, incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. For what profit does it, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Fear not him who is able to destroy the body, but you better be afraid of him who is trying to destroy your soul. I'm telling you, friend, this is so gripping in my heart today because when you convert a sinner and you lead someone to Jesus, you assist in saving a soul. James chapter 5 and verse 20 says that when you lead someone to Christ, you do two things. Number one, you have saved a soul from death. You have personally snatched someone from the claws of Satan, and you have personally delivered someone from falling into eternal darkness and falling into flames that would burn but not consume forever and forever and forever. That's the first thing you've done. But that's not the only thing you've done. When you lead someone to Christ, not only do you save them from death, but you assist in covering a multitude of sins that that person has carried for so long. They surrender to Christ. They return to the Lord, and you help bring down the blood of Jesus over their sin-sick soul. I'm telling you, there's not a greater fulfillment in the life of a believer. Oh, I could lay hands on a hundred people next week and they all could recover from physical malady, but it doesn't begin to measure up to when I have one opportunity to lead someone to Jesus, to have someone have their name written down in heaven. It's the greatest blessing this side of eternity for the child of God. Well, haven't we had great evangelism programs? Absolutely. Over the years... Roman road and evangelism explosion, the way of the master and becoming a contagious Christian, and the four spiritual laws and lighthouse ministries, and millions have been won to the Lord. But I'm afraid that we've gotten complacent and apathetic. 
we, I, have found myself so consumed with COVID that it is substituted for the burden of my lost family and friends. I was, you know, sometimes I pray to the Lord, sometimes I whine to the Lord. I know y'all don't do that. I was whining to the Lord the other day about this decision and that choice and taking inventory on this. And suddenly I felt this overwhelming conviction to simply repent for I have failed to have the level of burden for lost and dying people that do not know Jesus. And yet, I'm going to be honest with you, we all as believers could probably huddle together and we would all agree there has to be some semblance that this all is leading to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That this is a sign of the time. We can all echo that. We can all breathe that and walk away from the huddle and still not have a burden for the lost people in our families and around us. I've been in the conversations, as you have. It's a mess. I talked to a, a very influential leader in my life yesterday who called Checking in on me. I appreciate it. It meant the world to me. But then I heard him say that because of his child's pre-existing conditions, and she's grown, she's in her 20s, he's only been able to talk to her on the phone since March 17th. So I call her most days just to hear her voice. And I hear that, and it's sobering. And we're all working our way through it. But shouldn't it really, if this has been allowed by God or sent by God, it's one or the other. You can call it the devil all day long, but God allowed it. And if that's the case, and we embrace that we're in this season by God's divine providence, by his hand or by his allowance, then is it possible, isn't it probable that the Lord is extending one or two last shreds of mercy for us to quit sitting on our hands of do-nothing and start really sharing the love of God with those around us. <laughs> hey, look, I got the swift kick in the backside earlier this week, so I'm just passing it along. It's time to quit talking and start doing. In the next 10 seconds, 27 souls will be born. In the next 24-hour period, 233,000 people, this population will grow by. 
There are well more than 110 million unchurched people in America. This is kingdom business. Jesus started the business. You know why he came to the earth? Very simple. Not to preach. Not to open blinded eyes. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. It was his food. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And when he went back to heaven, he left you and I in charge to keep the family business going. Not the business of fellowship. Not the business of education. Not the business, business of building programs or, or preaching or singing. But the business of winning men and women and boys and girls to Jesus and helping people find peace with God. Proverbs 11 and 30 says, he that winneth souls is wise. Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 says, they that turn many to righteousness will be as the stars forever and ever. I realize I embrace, I, it, it, it has to start with your pastor. I have to be engaged in the culture. I have to connect with unchurched people. It's different for different people. For 27 years next month, I've had the privilege of overseeing building programs and developing leaders and preached and taught from two to four times a week, along with administration duties and counseling Counseling to the few that actually listen. But my greatest personal call is to win souls to Jesus. I couldn't wait. I knew for years. I knew for years that at some point I would be involved in some kind of chaplaincy. And I never felt a release, never felt a release, never felt a release until I came to Pulaski County. This past week, it was, a, it was an admirable thing. It was a wonderful thing that Emmanuel did. The bookstore provided a police Bible for every one of the county deputies and also soon to be the town police in the next couple of weeks. I thought it was great. One of the churches in the community, Community Christian, Provided a hot dog lunch. Precious couple just provide a lunch. And, but the greatest thrill for me was that I got to go sit down two Thursdays in a row and have chili dogs with the deputies of our county. Breaking the ice. Building relationships. And God's called you to do the same thing. Dr. Raymond Culpepper, the former general overseer of the Church of God, he pastored in Birmingham for many years. Church grew to over 2,500 people. <laughs> One day, a church consultant that he had brought in confronted him about his need as a pastor to lead someone to Christ. 
The man's running 2,500 people. So he bought a health club membership. He began to build genuine relationships with unchurched people. Admittedly, he said people are suspicious of preachers. But he prayed secretly for them every day as he, quote, worked out for God. (laughs) I would say today, if this word gets a hold of your spirit and your heart, and it should to every one of us, you need to start with a plan to talk to God about men so that he'll open the door for you to talk to men about God. Dr. Culpepper would end up leading 30 unchurched people to Christ. And after building a five-year relationship with the owners of the gym, led them and their wives to the Lord. Folks, lost people matter to God. I've thought many times that the worst thing that can happen in a person's life is to be lost. To be lost. We've easily embraced that it's the worst thing to be, to be lost. To be lost and undone. And I thought about that this week and I, I'm sure if I, if I asked you the question, is, is there anything worse than being lost, you'd, you'd probably say no. Can't think of anything worse than being lost. But there is something worse than being lost. There is. You're probably thinking, what in the world could be worse than, than being lost? Being lost and having no one looking for you. Being lost and yet no one is looking for you. You know someone today, this moment that deep down feels as if no one is, <laughs> well, pastor, I got to pray about this evangelism thing. Hey, good news, you don't have to pray about it. You just have to start doing it. There's some things you don't have to pray about. You know, I, I'm going to pray for God's will. I don't know if he wants me to evangelize or not. You don't have to pray about it. Newsflash. He's put you on this earth to save you and that through you, others would come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Every single one of us. I want to leave you with this thought. We're going to call it fleeting moments with eternal implications. That's your thought for the day. Commit it to memory. I know our memory is not as good as it used to be. I went to pump gas yesterday. And I couldn't remember the zip code. <laughs> it's all downhill from there, I guess. That's the credit card. Got to punch in the zip card. Can't remember the zip code. Put the credit card back in my wallet, just kind of snuck out of the parking lot just so nobody sees me. One of those moments. My family, for many years, We've always enjoyed sports, especially my, my son and I, my, my wife, we've enjoyed football and baseball. 
been to several professional football games and several professional baseball games, and we followed the Atlanta Braves, and we've enjoyed over the years traveling to see many ballparks. That was kind of our family vacations for a long time. We were pastoring in Fredericksburg, Virginia in 2009. Ben was 10 years old. We were standing in line in Chick-fil-A, and we had no idea that we were standing in front of John Main, who was a starting pitcher for the New York Mets. We noticed there was a flurry of activity going on, and everybody was, was like, what's going on? Is there a celebrity in here, and I don't know it? But then it hit us. I had to, I had to seize, seize the moment. Man, we blitzed across the parking lot, and we stopped John Main before he got in his vehicle. He autographed for my son, and I handed him a card from our church asking him to sign it. I was a pastor in the community. Just a day or two before that, he had recently signed a contract for $2.6 million with the Mets. And I remember saying, congratulations on your contract. Even though I would be rooting against him because I was a Brave fan. John Main turned, walked away, got in his black SUV and drove off. Now, I don't know. Didn't know then, don't know to this moment. John Main was a believer, but immediately the Holy Spirit quickened my heart. It was a fleeting moment with eternal implications. Not long after that, a couple of days actually, I was sitting at the intersection waiting for the light, waiting for the two-minute cycle to hurry up because there was a homeless man that was approaching my vehicle. You know the drill, don't make eye contact, right? That's what you're told. You make eye contact, they're probably coming to your window. I'm looking straight ahead, he's coming up on this side. I'm like, when is this light gonna turn? Again, a fleeting moment with eternal implications. Brother Kenny was two opposite ends of the spectrum. A million-dollar pitcher and a homeless man. And both are priceless in the eyes of God. I wondered, does the homeless man wonder if anybody's looking for him? I wonder... Does the million-dollar pitcher wonder if anyone's even bothering to look for him? See, church, we're not, here. we're not here to make bad people good. We're not here to make good people better. We're simply here to help dead people live. This This is the business of a great church in the eyes of God. We 
should be grieved when the altars are barren of repentant sinners and lacks the tears of backslidden people. You out there this morning? We should be gripped. We should be grieved in our hearts. When's the last time you wept over your lost son or daughter? When's the last time that you prayed a little longer for that sibling? That it, when you look at them, you think, man, they seem like a hopeless situation. With God, all things are possible. With man, things are impossible. Everything is possible with God. The business. It was in the days before Connecticut became a state. There was an incident that occurred there that has become known as the Dark Day. The legislature was gathered together. Suddenly there was thick darkness. It was a, some kind of a strange atmospheric condition that took place and it blotted out the sunlight. The colonial legislature, the, some of the members began to cry out when it happened in the middle of the day. It's a day of judgment. Let us go home and be ready. Let's go home to our families. But in that meeting, there was an old church deacon. And he stood up and he said, Brethren, it may be the day of judgment I do not know. The Lord may come. But when he comes... I want, to, I want him to see me at my post, doing my duty up to the last moment. Mr. Speaker, I move that candles be brought in and that we get on with the business of the colony. Church, the business of the church is the family business. The family business more than anything else, is to seek and to save that which was lost. Would you bow your heads with me? You know them. Maybe you're one of them today. You're a soul the most precious, the most precious jewel to the heart of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, your soul. Not your money, not your charisma, not your gifts. Your soul. I'm not here to sell you a product or a bill of goods. I've simply come to tell you that today, if you will allow, can be your day of freedom, 
and you can experience peace that you've never known since you've been on the face of this earth. Lost people listening to this preacher. We are looking for you. But more importantly than that, the Holy Spirit is looking for you. This altar is open to you. This altar is open to you. You say, preacher, I'm lost. Can there be anything worse than being lost? Yes. To be lost and yet have no one looking for you. Oh, God. Give us a heart. For lost people. Fleeting moments that have eternal implications. That waitress at the restaurant this afternoon. That person in front of you at the checkout line. That coworker that has been with you for a month, two months, six months, but now the job is transferring them to another part of the state or across the world. My God, my God. never want to live with regret. I never want to walk past the casket of one soul that I didn't do everything I could. Mm. That with every fleeting moment as the Holy Spirit directed I was open to speaking to them and sharing with them love of Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Preacher, I am lost. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. I am a walking dead man, a walking dead woman. I am a walking dead young person because I know that my heart is not right with Jesus. Are you here? Would you just slip your hand up, put it right back down? I'm not going to call you out. Is there any believers in the house that have a burden for lost people? be honest. I want you to be honest here. If you have a burden for lost people or if you want a greater burden for lost people and you embrace, God, I want you to give me some, some of those fleeting moments with eternal implications. 
I want to make a difference in someone's soul. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I want to make a difference in someone's soul. Stand to your feet. Throw both hands up to heaven as a sign of surrender right now, would you? All over this house. Some of you know someone. You may be the only light that is shining in their life right now. My God, my God. Oh, Lord, here I am. Come on, you surrender to him as you see fit. Here I am, Lord. They're going to walk in. I'm going to have an opportunity to sell them some insurance. They're going to walk in. I'm going to have an opportunity to tutor them with their academics this school year. They're going to walk in. They're going to ask me to work on their automobile. And oh God, I want to be so sensitive to your spirit. When I walk into their room and they're a patient, I know I have limitations, but God, you're not limited. Your spirit can, can do. It can move beyond any barriers. I must be a light.